Well, uh, again, I do appreciate it. Um, I, uh, I prepared like a couple of different approaches to what Andrew and I talked about uh, talking about today. Um, and then it turns out when I got here and talked to him a little bit more, I threw both of those out, why not, and started from another approach that was fresh. And by fresh, I mean only partially completed. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to be on a little bit of a journey together, if you don't mind. I hope you don't. But I'm confident that if we focus on Jesus, look to the word that takes us to him, that we will find a way to follow him more closely. Um, so uh, I, I think following Jesus more closely uh, leads us uh, to take Jesus to other people. So if you don't mind, can we begin with a word of prayer? Holy Father, as I acknowledge right now, I'm coming before you and asking that you would center me on the truth that in Jesus, I can come to you right now as my refuge. My identity in Jesus means that you are my dad looking over my shoulder and helping me as I tell your fellow children your heart for them and your heart for those children who have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord. I pray that you would take the convoluted thoughts that you have began in my heart and my mind and that you will help them come through my mouth and into the ears and the hearts of people in this room where the sanctifying truth will hold fast and everything else will just be tossed aside. I pray not only that, but that we could enjoy what you might have for us today. Um, I pray, Jesus, that you would have your name lifted high and that your followers would esteem you as worthy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would shine a light into our hearts, that you would mold us and shape us, and that you would go with us as we seek to live out what you show us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm 10 minutes in and I haven't started. Not off to a good start. Uh, I am not a polished speaker. So I hope you guys are okay with us. We can be comfortable together, right? I'm just a guy. Forget the fly-in thing. I'm not a guru. I don't have it all figured out. None of this is going to knock your socks off. Hopefully, it's all stuff that you've kind of heard before. Maybe the Lord has a, a fresh way of you hearing it. Maybe he's calling you together to something different. We're just going to be in it together, okay? And uh, I'll start just by a little way of introducing myself. Um, I did meet Andrew so many years ago, and I had just actually began in ministry. I was probably going into my second year, and I'm not going to bore you with my whole story, I promise. It's going to be super tight, but um, if you knew me uh, for so many years, you would know that I had a knowledge of the Lord, that I had a saving faith of the Lord, um, but what it meant to follow him with all of my life had never been laid out before me and never been modeled in my life. Um, so I had a I had an understanding of the gospel that brought me to know my need for a savior, thank you Lord, and that I could call out to Him in repentance and faith. Uh, but what I didn't understand was everything that went into and became true about me being in Christ. That this wasn't just this new now I'm no longer in debt, now it's up to me to promise God to live a good life and I should just eternally try to get holier little bit by little bit, but that he was repurposing me with this new identity and this new standing in Christ. And <laughs> it was actually about the time that I uh, 
came to understand more robustly the good news of the gospel for my fear, my guilt, and my shame that I was experiencing in my life, that he also showed me the vanity that was living my life for my own kingdom, as if everything that I did just went into either giving me identity or trying to find the security or all of these vain pursuits that I was just pouring myself into as I was pursuing my jobs in the secular world. Nothing wrong with jobs in the secular world. I think that that, that is often more holy than being called into, uh, and we'll, we'll actually get to that in a minute. Um, but I was just this knucklehead that was trying to find something that was going to give me what I already had, that I just wasn't living like it was true. And here I was, and the only thing I knew in all the jobs that I was in, I was, I was pursuing at one point uh, being an attorney. I know, look at me. Um, and I had worked at this really large law firm for about 10 years and then got the opportunity to be uh, the director of operations for a group of businesses and stepped into that. And man, I'll tell you the truth, I had no business being in any of those things. I was underqualified and didn't know what I was doing, but I just kept falling into these opportunities. The one thing I would do, though, is I would walk into these places where God would take me, and I would scratch my head and say, what are we trying to accomplish, and are we doing it the best way to get the result that we're trying to get? And that was a common thread in the secular world. Fast forward a little bit, and God ends up calling me into ministry, and yeah, that's an interesting story in and of itself, but I find myself there, and it's the first time where I'm like, dude, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Humility, that was a new fruit of the Spirit, um, and so I found myself um, going to the Lord in frequent and fervent prayer, opening up His Word, and then seeking to learn from teachers that knew a whole lot more than I did. And I had come on staff, I had been asked from the church that I was attending to be the director of outreach. And what I surmised by that, they just basically said, we're inward focused. Everybody new that shows up at our church, it's because they've talked to you. And it was even a joke, like the people at the door one Sunday, they, they sent this family over to see me. And they came up and they were like, oh, Tim's over here. And they walk up and they stand next to me and I'm like, hi. And they say, hi. And I was really confused. <laughs> and I went to the people at the door and they're like, oh, it was just a new family. We assumed that you had invited them. It was kind of that deal. It was a small church, you know. So, so the pastor had asked me if I would be the director of outreach. Hey, you've got organizational skills. You're outwardly focused. While you look for a real job, maybe you can help us put an outreach program together. And so here I am, and I pretty quickly figure out if I just put together a calendar with outreach at the top and then put some events on it on like Saturdays and different days so that people who want to go do that kind of thing could go do that kind of thing, and the people who don't want to go do that could be like, our church does this, isn't that great? Then I would have really fulfilled what they wanted. Um, that's just... They, they knew they needed to be outward focused and that was a way to do it. And as I prayed and read and surmised from the Lord, like the only thing I knew I wasn't supposed to do was that. So I would show up at these staff meetings and they'd be like, you have the outreach calendar? I'm like, okay, I'm trying to humbly submit to the elders and leadership and at the same time, I, about that. Um, I don't have that, and here's why. And we began this conversation over and over. I didn't have the words, I didn't have the language, I didn't have the framework, but what I had was this conviction that outreach wasn't a thing for like a group of people to do occasionally, but that there was a mission of the church that was implied with being the church, and that included everyone playing some kind of part and role. And so I had this big task of in all humility saying, can we, can we consider this? And through a lot of prayer and, and figuring things out, they're like, you talk about discipleship a lot for an outreach guy. And I'm like, yeah, because I see the two as hand in hand. I don't see a separate call for evangelism 
and for discipleship. I see the two to be related. We are evangelizing to make disciples. And so we are disciples who are making disciples, and that's church-wide with a whole lot of different expressions. And I'll expound on that a little bit more. Hey, I'm not doing too bad. That was only seven minutes. Um, I'll expound on that a little bit more as we go. But here's what happened. When we when we kind of turned it over to the Lord and started to pray about what that looked like, we realized that the way that we were talking about discipleship before didn't have space for something like that, for us to be doing it together. We were saying that we wanted to do discipleship, which primarily meant teach classes, have small groups, um, really good things that we continue to do, by the way. Um, but we were assuming that outside of our scheduled times, everyone was talking to their neighbors, trying to share Jesus, talking to their coworkers, trying to share Jesus, doing all of these types of things, just kind of on their own. So we're kind of packing your schedule with classes and books and small group and this and that, then we're saying, hey, hopefully on your spare time, at, in your spare time, the byproduct is that you're going out and reaching all of your neighbors and your coworkers and everyone else. And we hope that every one of you is doing that. And there seemed to be this disconnect between what, what we were saying it meant to be a disciple who makes disciples, um, which we were discipling people that were within our church. Um, there seemed to be a disconnect between what we did and what we were hoping would happen. So, I'm going to pray again. And this is going to be brief. Lord, you led me to share that. I think it matters. I know now that we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus and I hope that you will give me what you want them to have. Please, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be concise and to help um, what you would have today to be impactful. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. With that said, Let's turn our eyes to Jesus. I'm going to start with asking the question, why would a disciple of Jesus be concerned with reaching the lost? I think it's a good question. I'm supposed to be talking about missional communities today. We're gonna get there. When I say missional community, you're probably thinking, that's what your church calls small group. I would understand why you would think that. Um, there's a lot of different models out with different names. When I say missional community, I hope by the end of the day that you're gonna say, oh, that's the method you guys have for trying to call people to do what we're seeing here. And that's it. And I'll parse that out a little bit. And that's not to suggest that other names and other forms are not biblical. I'm just trying to give you a name for missional community. So let's start with Jesus in Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to start here in verse 1. I'm just going to read kind of as an intro, and then I'm going to jump to 30,000 feet. Like any good preacher, I'm just going to use the text as a launch pad to go wherever I want to go. No, I'm, I'm joking. But let's start with Luke chapter 15, and I will read aloud here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You guys are familiar with this story, right? Okay, then he goes on to tell the parable of the lost coin, a widow who has lost a coin. She begins, she lights a lampstand, sweeps her house thoroughly, looks everywhere for it, finds the coin. Then he tells the story of the lost son that we know as the prodigal son. We all know this story. The young man wants his inheritance. He goes far away. He blows all his money, squanders it, comes to his senses, says, I'll return to my father's house. I'll just say, hey, you treat your workers really good. I don't deserve to be your son, but I'd like to be one of them. When the father sees him from a long way off, he goes running to him. He grabs him, hugs him, kisses him, gives him the robe, the fattened calf. They throw a party, they celebrate. The older brother gets upset. I digress. Okay. So, it all started that he shared those stories because he was setting eating with sinners and the Pharisees and the, um, the, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. I want us to see our Father's heart for those who aren't with him yet. When we look at these three stories, we hear his heart. In, the, in verse 7, he says, more joy over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people. We hear in verse 9 that when the widow finds it, rejoice with me. And then in verse 10, there's joy before the angels of God. And then in verses 22 and 23, we have the father who's the robe and the rings and the fattened calves, and it's a celebration. All right, so this is his heart. He has this, it's, a, it's such a priority, such an important thing that it fills him with this rejoicing, that a celebration. So we see his heart, but we also see his action. So in the first story, in verse 4, we see leaves the 99 to go after the one until it is found. And then in verse uh, 8, we see this like diligence of lighting a light, sweeping and cleaning everywhere, and then looking and searching until it's found. In verse 20, we see that while the son was still a long way off, the father ran to him. So this, these are his actions. So I just want us to see for a second that when Jesus is asked, why are you spending time with these sinners? He responds and says, here is my father's heart for the lost. And also, in those same stories, here's what the Father does. Here's what the Father does. He searches, he goes, he runs to. So we hear Jesus' message. This is what he shares in response. And we get to see his method. He's eating with the sinners while they're having this conversation. Okay? Interestingly enough, just before this, in Luke chapter 14, is he's talking about the cost of discipleship. So he's going on to say, whoever doesn't leave his family, whoever doesn't consider, like who would build a great tower and not think about how much it's going to cost? So he's casting a vision for the kind of setting aside of one's life and pursuit before he even goes in this direction. So we hear his message, and we see his method. So how would we define being a disciple of Jesus? I'm going to venture to. 
We say this a lot uh, around where I am. We say a disciple spends time with Jesus, worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, obeys Jesus, and does what Jesus did. We say he spends time with Jesus, worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, obeys Jesus, and does what Jesus does. Discipleship is this intentionally increasingly submitting every aspect of everyday life to the Lordship of Jesus. So I want to ask you, if, if that is a good definition for disciple, and that is a good definition for discipleship, what do we do with that? I, I would like to suggest that we can't seek growing in life with Jesus unless we're willing to be also pursuing the lifestyle of Jesus. So we can't grow in life with Jesus apart from the lifestyle of Jesus. And as we go a little further in Luke 19, verse 10, we see him conclude a story about Zacchaeus where again, he's called him out of a tree, he's gone to his house to eat with him, and he ends it by saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So there it is. There's our motivation for all of us to go individually live on mission. Not so fast. Not so fast. So if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, we need Jesus and we need each other. So again, don't miss this. We need Jesus and we need each other. So we need Jesus. We, we look to Jesus and he tells us in his word, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we could do nothing. We bear no fruit. The very first thing that he says when he calls disciples is follow me I'll make you fishers of men. The very last thing he says before he returns to the Father is, go therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. So there's a pretty good bookend with Jesus <laughs> saying, I'm going to show you what this is like and tell you what it's like on the way, and I'm going to be with you and give you what you need for it. But we also have Jesus in John, and I'm going to turn over here. In John chapter 13, we have Jesus in verses 34 and 35. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm at the age now where when I'm looking down close, it's blurry. Just happened a couple of months ago. It's blowing my mind. I haven't got used to it yet. So here I am. This will make everybody over the age of 40 feel really good, right? Okay, 13, 34 through 35. Yeah, you think I'm joking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then, famously, a couple of pages over, in John 17, we have the high priestly prayer. So this is Jesus praying to the Father on behalf of his people in the prayer. And we see, we'll key in first to verse 18, where it says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and they also may be sanctified in truth. Then 20 through 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, the, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. And he goes on to 
beautiful prayer. I think that shows us something. I'm not sure if this is new news to you or not, but I know for me, at some point in my life, this was something I didn't know. I knew that the gospel was good news for me because I needed a savior. And I kind of thought that was it. So I knew I needed the power of God for salvation. I was confronted with my sin. I knew that the only way for me to find forgiveness was for Jesus' death to count for me and that for me to have the righteousness that I needed to have fellowship with the Father, I needed Jesus' righteousness to be given to me. This was incredible news. And I call that now gospel power. A lot of times when we're talking about uh, two different types of gospel tenses in our discipleship. But what I did not realize was a gospel purpose. That when you look at the grand narrative of scripture from beginning to end, that this story, the story of God's redemptive history with his people is not over. And we look forward to Revelation where we see how it ends and we see his return, but you and I actually exist right now in this unfolding story. And so as we look back on, on the children of Israel and their journey with God, all the way through Christ on the cross and his victorious resurrection and then see his people begin to be a holy people set apart that are, are set apart, the word holy being set apart for the purpose of demonstrating who God is to the nations, we are joining those people. So a gospel purpose, I used to think I'm just saved from the penalty of my sin. But what I didn't realize is I am saved for something. My salvation has a purpose outside of myself, that if I am saved for the glory of God, that it now means that my life individually to that ends is to seek how to glorify him. He tells us how to do that. He, he tells us in magnifying and lifting high the name of Jesus, whose kingdom he has, has enthroned, that we are doing that. But here's the deal. I looked at that through an individualistic lens for most of my life. What I see more clearly now than I ever did was when we read God's word, look at Paul's epistles. It's not to a person. It's to a people. It's to a church. It's always been God's plan to have a people set aside for his glory. When he talks about the glory of God, uh, and the, the body of Christ and all of the different gifts that are represented, there's an intentionality that that plurality of people and all of the different members are how his body would fill all in all. It is not meant to be an individual pursuit for us to somehow be able to individually point people to Jesus. It is for the church to do that. Now, we get the opportunity to do that individually, Please don't hear me say that there's not an individual call for us to do that. I'm here to bring a fresh thought for how we might endeavor to do that together. So when we look at gospel power and gospel purpose and that we're not just saved from something but saved for something, I think for us to grow as disciples, we have to have these key disciple-making environments that are a part of our life. And I would encourage you to, to try to seek this out for yourself. I'm gonna use this board here. This might be the only thing I write on the board because I am horrible at talking and writing. And if I stand up here in silence and write things out, you're gonna get even more bored than you already are and go to sleep. So, I am going to write this quickly. Hmm, that's too big. Can you see that? Yep, I'm going to write it this way. There we go.
my wife is a teacher, she would make fun of me so hard right now. Oh, you're not going to be able to see this one. All right, who's the farthest back? You can see it? Okay, great. All right. So I, I think, personally, for, for people to endeavor to follow Jesus and grow as a disciple, that they need to have these key components that they are growing in and participating in. Life with God, a personal communion, abiding in Christ. This is where you are establishing rhythms in your life through spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation to spend time communing with the Father through the Son, through the Spirit, life with God. Then I would say you need life on life. You need other believers that you are talking with and growing with where you are sharing what is going on in your life and they are sharing how the truth from God's word and the truth from your life intersect so that you can live according to God's truth in your life. So opening up God's word, here's, here's a little hack for you. We hear all the time, preach the gospel to yourself. When you read anything from God's word, you can ask these four questions. When I read this, who is God? And what has he done through Jesus? Who am I as a result of that? And what does it look like for me to live like that's true? That's a gospel-centered. It doesn't go from what's this passage saying to how do I do it. It has Jesus and what that means for you in the middle. So there you go. That's just a, a bonus. All right, so we have life with God, life on life. I would say that this is a small community of people that you're opening up to. Those are trusted people that can see your life and they're hearing what's going on in your life. Then life in community, this is, this is an extended group of people that you are doing life with where you're practicing the one another's of scripture. And then life on mission. Now what most of the time we try to do in most of our churches is hit these three or we just compartmentalize and try to just tell people, you know, pick a couple of those and let's do it. But I'm going to suggest through the rest of the talk today that if we are to pursue being disciples together who make disciples, that we need all four of these. I would also say, I'm going to use a different marker. I believe red will be pretty. two are primarily connecting you with gospel power. This is bringing you back to the truth of the relationship with God that is now available through Jesus and how that shapes and transforms your life. This is now living for gospel purpose. Practicing the one another's of scripture and community with fellow believers and then together living on mission to make Jesus known. Now, you might say that in these two environments that you are growing and experiencing spiritual fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. Who knows the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Anybody rattle them off? Great job. All right, nailed it. 
Now I want you to think about those words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Okay. Those all seem like pretty relational words, don't they? It's almost as if that fruit that you get from there gives you the ability to have these communities together in relationship that look and sound an awful like an awful lot like a community that I heard of one time in Acts chapter 2. Has anybody heard of that community? So we go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and here we are. Peter has just laid it all out there. 3,000 people have come to faith. You've got this community of believers that are growing, and it is a spectacle they're loving one another. They're spending time together. They're bringing their possessions and saying, it doesn't matter whose stuff is who. We're meeting each other's needs. We're devoted to the teachings. We're devoted to prayer. We're coming together in our houses and temples. And so now you're going to tell me, okay, Tim, that's great. But they were just doing this. Life and community, right? They were just loving each other and being the church in response to the gospel. That's what they were doing. And then you hear, but the number of people who came to faith grew day by day. Wait a minute. They're doing life in community, not life on mission. They're not going out and seeking people and preaching the gospel. How can that be life on mission? They were just doing the thing of loving each other in community and people saw that and were blown away by it and said, I want to know more about this God and they came to faith and they joined in that community. How can that be? That sounds a little bit like maybe it was being on mission. Exactly. <laughs> That's where we're going to go because in the book of Acts, at that time, right then and there, the church was happening. It was undeniable, and it was for everyone to see. Everyone could see it. It was on display. It is 2023 in Columbus, Ohio. How are the people out there seeing the people in here loving one another, meeting each other's needs, having community with one another, being shaped by God's word and displaying his fruit to one another and to them. That is the challenge that we have. That's what takes some creativity. Whatever you think of when you hear the words missional community, throw that out and think of this right here. How do you, how do we, as the church, take our community displaying the love for one another, which Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. How do we display that and extend that? That's what I want to unpack in the next 15 minutes. <laughs> All right. You with me? I didn't know how I was going to get there. I'm just as surprised as you. Okay, so let's say that you did, in fact, want to be a group of people, which that, that's just another thing I'm going to bring up. I love the heart when the believers, when God's church starts saying, how do we reach the lost? and we start getting creative, and we start looking at ways to engage them, and we start putting time and resources and all of that into that, that is fantastic. We are starting to bark up that tree together. A lot of times, and I've done it a lot myself, my evangelistic efforts in organizing people have looked a lot like, okay, let's go to a place and do a thing. We'll go to that place at a certain time and we'll do that thing and it will be directed at people. It will be super fun or meet needs or something like that. 
and we'll direct it at them and they will come up and we'll have a brief exchange and then we'll say, hey, if you want to come be a part of our church, then you should come. We're located at this place at this time and you can come do that. And some of those people come and that's fantastic. Please don't hear me say that that's a bad thing to do to invite people to church. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying what if we also are putting time, energy, and resources into thinking what it looks like to have life and community combined with life on mission. Go back to the picture of Jesus at the table that spurred the grumbling from the Pharisees. Go back to Jesus calling Zacchaeus. Go now to Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus has called Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector, he says, come and follow me. Matthew goes home and throws a big party. And Jesus is there, and his disciples are there, and all of the sinners and the outcasts come. And Matthew says he wants those people to know the Jesus that has called him. So there is a table of Jesus' disciples, those who don't know him yet, and it's all centered around Jesus. And this is what this, is what this response is. It's fascinating if you, if you kind of, you could do a whole sermon series, Andrew, idea. You could do a whole sermon series on meals with Jesus. It's a thing. All right. So let's just imagine, oh, by the way, the church I'm a part of, it's called Matthew's Table. That's why. Um, our, our mission and vision, if you boil it down, and we would be super hypocritical if we weren't pursuing it because that's our name, is to have a table like Matthew's in every neighborhood and location in our, our Cleveland area, which means for us, a hundred different ones. Um, we're nowhere near that, but... Um, that's why, that's why. Because what would it look like to have a table like Matthew's? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a table, but what's unique about that, if, if you wanna just set the table imagery aside, is how do you get an environment where believers and non-believers are in a space together where they are sharing fellowship and the opportunity is there for them to hear about Jesus? And what if that happens more than once? What if it starts to look like a relationship? I know um, Andrew has taught Art of, Art of Neighboring before. Um, he said it had been a while. Great book, good website, look it up. They have something, oh, going to the board. They have, can I just flip that over? That's gonna be super cool. Nope, all right. Nah, it's all right. I can erase it that fast. Dun, 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 dun. You're right. Turning it's better. <laughs> I thought it was going to be way harder than that. Okay. So. Oh, no. <laughs> there we go. That's money. This is what happens when you get up at two in the morning and just go off a bunch of coffee and a cheeseburger. Culver's? We don't have Culver's in Tennessee. Yeah, there you go. Stranger acquaintance. Friend. Okay. In the book, The Art of Neighboring, it has something very similar to this that says, it, it just calls it moving it down the line. So you're encountering someone that you desire sharing Jesus with, and it starts with them being a stranger, moving to acquaintance, and then going to friend. Not, not very shocking, right? But they're just making the point that the further you move down the line, the more trust, the more influence, and the more impact your life has on their life and your words has, have on them as well. And I 
would like to suggest that if you are individually seeking relationship with a neighbor or a coworker or whatever, it's great to keep this in mind. It's a real easy way to just measure these metrics of whether what you're doing is effective or not because you're, you're saying, oh, we've had these interactions. Now I'm starting to feel like an acquaintance, not a stranger. Uh, I, he's gone from dude to Bob. Now, acquaintances, oh, hey, we make small talk and talk for a few minutes, and I know what happened in his day today. Friends, you're starting to talk about, like, real stuff, like hopes and dreams and fears and all that kind of thing. So let's just imagine that you have a community of people who are engaging your neighbor. Then you have multiple people (laughs) that are working their way down this line, and some still feel like strangers, some are starting to feel like acquaintances, and some feel like friends. Um, In my neighborhood, we had been praying um, that God would send a non-believer to live next door to us. Our house, the house next door came empty, and he delivered. This young couple moved from California. Everyone in California is a non-believer, of course. It's a joke. Um... Anyway, they, uh, <laughs> they moved in, and we began a relationship with them. Well, we have a missional community that we lead in our neighborhood. It's to the neighborhood. and We live right across the street from a park. It's a pretty nice playground. It's got picnic tables and whatnot. So we have people that we go to church with that are in our missional community that we all get together every Sunday, and we eat in that park and people from the neighborhood know about that and they come and they eat in the park too Jamie and Leilani I shouldn't have said their name Um, doesn't matter they're not going to see this they still don't follow Jesus but they were invited to that they came and met our friends something pretty incredible happened We started, we just have a regular weekly rhythm. They start coming every single week. They start bringing food. They start inviting coworkers. They they invited their boss. They invited family when they came into town to visit. They do not follow Jesus. Right now, still, this has been, this is year two. They do not follow Jesus. They love our community. They have heard the name of Jesus over and over. They came to what we, what we call story of God, where we start at the beginning before creation and go all the way through the big story of the Bible together. They came and sat and asked questions and everything else. They just found out that they're expecting a little baby boy. They called a dinner and asked us all to come out. They've entertained people from our, from our missional community over and over people from our MC have watched their dogs and mowed their lawn and gone to whitewater and all this stuff together. So they find out that they're pregnant, don't have family, and they invite four families from our church to go out to dinner. And then, surprise, we found out we're expecting all this. They just texted on the way here that they are so incredibly excited that they have a community of people who love them and will support them while they're going to have a child. Now, have they come to faith yet? No. And I pray they do. Um, But I have got to share the gospel in our front yard with Jamie, I don't know, a hundred times from multiple different angles about things going on in my life. Not just me, but everyone else in my community has had opportunities to talk about the real Jesus in their real life and why it mattered over and over and over again. Jamie asked me to pray for him last week. Yeah. He also said he believes that the enemy wants him to feel isolated. He thinks there's an enemy now. That's a new thing. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know where that goes, but here's the thing. If I would have just met Jamie and Leilani, they would have said, you guys are really sweet. You're really kind. You're really helpful. You're on a pedestal. 
not Jesus. By getting to know my community, the thing that we have in common is Jesus. The things that they're experiencing, they associate with Jesus. Living in community with one, or being on mission in community with one another means you are sharing gifts and abilities. You are sharing resources. You're sharing stories. And you are lifting high the name of Jesus. It's the person with the gift of hospitality having someone over and saying, come on, I know I don't know you well yet, but I want to, and I'm inviting my friends. And it's the other person from the MC with, with the gift of evangelism who is saying, let me tell you about Jesus while we're sitting here eating nachos. It's the other person with the gift of mercy who's saying, oh my gosh, it sounds like you guys are having a really hard time with your plumbing. What about this guy over here? He is so good with his hands. I bet if we came over, we could fix it. It's a group of people that are surrounding and reflecting in a multifaceted way the image of Jesus. By the way, go back to the garden, the great mandate. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God and they were told to be fruitful and multiply. Now we all know what happened. Things went sideways. When Jesus is given a people, they begin to bear spiritual fruit and he calls them to multiply. We are bearing the image of Jesus. Now on the, on the other side of the marred image um, that sin brought in, yeah, now each and every one of us, and we bring a different aspect. That's the beauty of the body, you know? There are things about you that more directly reflect the nature of God than me. And there are experiences and things from your story that are different than mine. There are gifts and there are abilities that you have that I don't. And when you bring that together, it's like this beautiful stained glass window that his glory can shine through. And it's not just a bunch of broken pieces, you know? It's 228, I think I'm supposed to be over. I don't wanna be, there's, there's some other stuff, but I'm gonna end super practical and it's going to be lightning round. You guys ready? Uh, buckle up. All right. So let's say that you're saying, Tim, how would we try to be a, a, a community on mission together? What would that look like? Number one, you'll hear more about that tomorrow from what I'm told. Uh, tomorrow's more of the how. But I want to drop a little something there for you. When we're seeking to begin to see our lives through the lens of the identity that Jesus has given us, I think uh, that you can boil those things down to we're disciples, so we're learners. We're learning how to take everyday stuff of life and follow Jesus with it, um, every aspect of our life. I think you can make the case that we are family. Um, that's the one another's of scripture. That's the familial language that uh, God uses for his people. He's a father. We've been adopted. Jesus says, who, are my, who is my family, my brothers and sisters? There's a whole lot there. I would say that we're servants. If we're following King Jesus, who came to, like, to empty himself and set his godness aside in the form of a servant and then ultimately served through dying even on a cross, if we're going to follow him, we've got to be a people who are elevating the needs of others above our own. We've got to be servants to proclaim a servant. And we are missionaries. We are a sent people. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are given this good news, and we are sent together. And in our minds, sometimes when we think of missionaries, we think way far away. Special elect people boot camp Christians that are called to go do something, not us. Or if we think about being missionaries where we are, we throw out everything 
that those missionaries do. <laughs> I'm here to suggest, just very practically, we're one minute past, just very practically though, what if you thought like a foreign missionary? Take everything from long-term missions and short-term mission and combine them. In a short-term mission trip, you go out as a group. You often work together to address a need. You find creative ways to engage and be around the people that you're going to. You seek to be a blessing a lot of times. Think about any short-term mission trip people have gone on. And then what do you do? You come together and you debrief. You talk about what you've experienced and how God's used it in your life. It's actually affecting you. A lot of times you come back and you're like, I'm changed. You know, some people say it's more for the person going than the people that you go to. Now, long-term missionary, think about what you do. You go and you think about the people that you're going to. And you say, what's culture like there? What's the language they speak? What are the false gods or idols? Um, you know, in a university town, it's knowledge. In a place where, um, you know, there are fa fatherless people that's looking for a dad. Anyway, you, you're thinking about the language that the people speak. You think about the needs that need to be addressed and the barriers, the cultural barriers. And you're committed for a long time. You're going to show up over and over for an extended period of time amongst those people. And you're going to live amongst them. And you're going to develop a relationship of trust and influence and being accepted and also mutually accepting a blending of relationship and you try to make it reciprocal where it's not just the I'm giving to you and you're receiving but to where there's a real relationship what if we thought like that both of those things but not even just individually, individually but collectively how do you say there's going to be a people in our city that we're going to commit to a bunch of us trying to be around, get to know, meet needs, serve. We're going to be like family amongst them and let them see our love for each other. We're going to extend that to them. We're going to build trust. We're going to proclaim the gospel to them over and over again. What if you did that? It could be a geographical location like a neighborhood. It could be uh, an activity or an affinity. It could be all the parents of your kid's soccer team or all the artists and musicians that come and play in this area. It could be a marginalized people that a nonprofit is already serving. And you join with the nonprofit, not to reinvent the wheel, but to add the relational capital to what they're trying to do. It's God's people just learning to think, how do we go to where the people are and be amongst them so that they can see who our Father is through His Son, through His Spirit. 2.34, I'm over. Is now a time for questions or it's not? Now's the time for going too long. Let's pray. Father, please just lift Jesus up and let us see Him as worthy of our lives. Give us a holy imagination for what it might mean um, to seek following him and abiding in him and trusting in him, uh, but that he would go in us and through us and with us as we seek to make him known here in Columbus. And so I pray that you would um, start a fire, give an interest, an intrigue, a curiosity. Um, I pray that people in this room would come to you and ask you what you would have them to do uh, with what's been talked about today. I ask that you would give them the boldness to go to others and say, what would it look like? And that there would start to be dreams of what it looked like to um, together reach pockets of this city to make the name of Jesus known. And I pray that you would encourage them in their everyday mission, in their homes, in their workplaces, um, and that that would be fueled by their coming together on mission, that they would learn from each other, that they would learn from you, that they would have it in their minds and on their tongues 
the name of Jesus that's above all names, um, that they would have a desire for your worship, for every need to bow and to know the name of Jesus and to proclaim him as Lord. And we pray all of that in his name. Amen.